This is Worldwide Veronica with a K. No one will discover the world for you. Welcome to Veronica with a K, Season 2. As you can guess from the title, my name is Veronica, spelled with a K. I'm a junior at Washington Lake University, and today I have a new exciting guest in the studio with me, Janae Darby, also a junior at Washington Lake University. Janae, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yes, so I am a junior studying econ here. I'm also Veronica's roommate. She yes. left that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, and I'm pretty well-traveled, I would say, so I'm excited to be on here and, you know, recount some of my experiences. Absolutely. I'm so excited. You have, um, Janae sent me a bio before this, and in that bio, there were so many things that I want to ask you about, just a little to elaborate, and I think it's very beneficial because we get to know each other more, and it's just a very interesting conversation is about to happen. I'm very excited. <laughs> okay, so you told me that you have been to 42 countries. It is a very, very impressive number. It is more than people usually get in their lifetime. And you're only like 20. So it's it's very wild. You've been to more countries than you have lived years on Earth, which is crazy if you think about it that way. So do you travel for fun with your family or for academics? Like, how did that number happen? Yes. So my family travels a lot. And so literally from like the time that I was four months old, we've been traveling. Oh, my God. And I'm, like, grateful to be from, like, a military family that's been able to be stationed all over the world. And so that kind of helps um, mitigate some of the costs associated with the number of, like, 42 countries. Of course. When you're stationed in Europe, you can just kind of, like, backpack around or, like, Mm -hmm. go camping for the weekend. It's basically been for fun. I think I've been to one country for study, so. Okay, only one. Dang. But, you know, more to come, hopefully. Hopefully we'll see. But we're not going to get there yet. So you said that the, f- the first time you traveled was around four months old. So I was going to ask you, can you remember the first country you traveled to? And I assume you really can't. But what is the first country that you remember traveling to? Ooh, this is a good question. So surprisingly, the first country that I can remember traveling to was um, actually the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So four months after I was born, we moved to Germany. Um, right. And we came back to the U.S. when I was around three. So right when like my memory was starting mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, um, come together. And so our, my first move that I remember is moving to Rhode Island. Oh, my um, God. And moving into our new house. So that was, yeah. Interesting. You would think that the first country is not going to be the US. I, I love it, though. You know, <laughs> that's a very interesting plot twist. <laughs> awesome. Well, what are some of your favorite places that you have been to in general? Ooh, such good questions. Thank I'm you. Like Thank you. <laughs> um, that's a really good question. I think Bahrain would be one of the like main countries that I've absolutely mm-hmm. loved. My parents lived there when they were younger, and so, like, being able to kind of, like, recount some of their experiences there as I'm, like, older has been really special to me. And I also just think the people there are so friendly. I mean, you cannot, like, meet a local that won't be like, oh, like, here's how you get to, you know, X place and things like that. Oh, that's so cute. So, yeah, I think that's one of the main ones. But then I also think um, Cambodia was a big one Mm, because mm -hmm. it's just so spiritual there. And I think, like, most of the time that we were there, we were going to temples and things like that. And since I'm a very, like, zen person, it was just a perfect fit for me. (laughs) Interesting. And how old were you when you were there? When I was in Cambodia? Yeah. Um, I think that was eighth grade, so like okay, 13. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So you have been to so many different places, and they're all like fundamentally different, right? How what 
impact do you think traveling so much at a young age, and I mean, even now, has, like, what impact did it have on your personality and some of your beliefs? How do you think it is reflected in you right now? I think my cross-cultural skills have grown a lot from that mm-hmm. because I um, deeply appreciate how people's backgrounds shape them. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever I try to go to a new country, I really try to research, like, the history, the traditions, and just, like, the culture in general to really get, like, a deep respect for the people there and mm-hmm. also, like, just influence how I interact with them. So I think that's one way. Another way is that, like, my dad is a super big history buff. And so, like, oh. anywhere we went, every time we went somewhere, he would make us research the history of the country. And then we would have to go to, like, any sort of battlefield or, like, historical reenactment that they had. And so that made, like, global history and high school a breeze because I was, like, been there, been there. Like, Oh, my God. <laughs> I love this. Honestly, I remember. So Janae and I were doing the same internship program over the summer. And we had um, Lexington, Virginia, that's where we are, is we, we had a trivia. And one of the uh, categories in that trivia was history. And Janae was absolutely killing it. <laughs> absolutely killing it. But that, that would explain it. That would explain it. So, you know, your dad would never let you go to Lexington without knowing any, everything about it. Of course. You know, some people went on the campus tour. I went on the historical tour of Lexington. Oh, my God. So. <laughs> yeah, and you and you did it before everyone else, basically. You, honestly, what an icon. I love this. I love this. And uh, I really appreciate you bringing up the fact that you researched the countries before you're going into. Because in the first episode, I was talking to Julian Murphy, the assistant director of and uh, study abroad coordinator at Center for International Education here at WNL. And it is one of the things that she was also talking about in preparation for people to go study abroad, how important it is to actually do the research and not come in blind and be, you know, the cultural shock and everything. It's still going to happen, but if you know and you're mentally prepared, it's mm-hmm. going gonna, it's gonna to ease the way a little bit. So just to take it to a broader perspective, what value, in your opinion, studying and living abroad has for personal, academic, and professional development? You can address all three or just say it in general. That's okay. Really good question. I think personally um, it makes you just very appreciative of worlds outside or not worlds but countries outside of America Mm -hmm. and I think it just broadens your horizons and makes you open to trying new things Um, and it also gives you more examples and perspectives to bring into your everyday life so I think that's really important personally Um, professionally I would say you know no matter where you work you're gonna probably be interacting with people from different cultures especially like in america or like in other multicultural societies mm-hmm. and so being able to kind of relate to them in ways that um maybe they wouldn't expect you to is really great i mean i was just um talking to a recruiting um hire or a recruiting director at a company that I was interested in, and she was from Egypt. And so I mentioned that I studied Arabic and uh, Middle Eastern studies, and she was, like, talking to me in her dialect. Aww. And it just brought this, like, really personal connection. And she was like, you're the only candidate that I've spoken to, to, spoken to today that has, you know, been able to speak Arabic. And I think that was something for me to, like, for her to remember me by. Yeah. So I think especially, like, adding in that human touch of, like, you know, getting to know someone else's culture and then interacting with them in that way can kind of put you ahead in that way as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's just that wow factor because usually when you're in a different country, I just speak from like international student perspective, you never really expect people to know 
not anything, but like most things about your country. So whenever I meet someone that is like says to me a random thing in Russian or like says something very particular about my country, I'm like, hold on, how do you know that? You know, <laughs> and it definitely makes it easier to remember people by. So that is a good, good, good professional hack, Janae. It's definitely, definitely works out. And kind of circling back to the states then, since we started on that, you mentioned that you have been to all 50 states. Very impressive. <laughs> I aspire to be you. Working on it real hard. Can you tell me about your top three states that you have been to and why did you like them? Ooh, good, good, good question. Um, okay, well, I have to start with Alaska because that's mm. where I was this summer. And it was just amazing. Like, I am such a big... Well, I wouldn't say I'm a big, like, nature person, but mm-hmm. I'm a very big cold weather person. Ooh. And so being able to, like, in the middle of June, be wearing, like, a full-on, like, <laughs> like yeah. ski jacket was amazing <laughs> for me. And then you also get to just see, like, all of the glaciers and wildlife. I mean, there was, like, sea otters right by our boat just, like, turning Aww. over and, like, trying to crack open um, clams. So that was really fun. Aww, that's so cool. And the glaciers there were also just amazing. Um I mean, like, like nothing I'd ever seen before. I think that's what makes Alaska unique. So fascinating. And then second, okay, this is such a like stereotypical list, but I would say Hawaii. Um, okay, <laughs> I, you know, I love it. Okay, why? I haven't been to either one of them, so please tell me. The volcanoes are Ooh. pretty amazing, and then also just the way that the volcanoes like change the whole landscape of the islands like there is literally like a different colored sand for each beach that I went to that's amazing like there is a beach with pink sand one with black sand like it was just like incredible things that I had never seen before wow and Um, all in nature so fascinating I love it wait did you go by yourself or did you go with WNL because there is um like a geology lab that goes to Hawaii every other year I think I went with my family. Ah, okay. Cool. Cool. But, you know, if you like it so much, maybe you should return. I know. So true. (laughs) You know, that's really cool. And what is the third one? The third one would probably be Washington State. As you can tell, I'm kind of just like a West Coast girly for some reason. Yeah, I noticed. (laughs) I love it. But um, I really love their cherries, to be honest. Like, Hmm. in their cities, everybody, like, thinks that Washington is a bad state because it, like, rains all the time Mm -hmm. and things like that. But I actually really love it. It kind of gave me, like, a London feel, except with more, like, coastal vibes. So, yeah, I think that would be my third state. Oh, my God. You just named, like, three places that I really want to go to. You got to make it happen. I'm trying. You know, I made... Can we can we can we have a roommate trip, please? Because <laughs> I would absolutely love to go to Washington State. I you know I finally made my way to LA, but I'm working on it to go to to the Washington State. That's a work in progress. Yeah. yeah. Well, as a person who has such a broad um, traveling experience within and outside of the country, what would you say are some misconceptions people have when they travel? I think some people. And it goes back to doing your research about a country. Mm -hmm. When you, like, see a lot of things on the news, you automatically get that picture and generalize it to a whole country where it usually is probably, like, contained to certain regions that you might Mm -hmm. not be going to. Because I know, like, even when I've been traveling, my mom's like, oh, my gosh, like, don't go there, don't go here, like, there's this and that. And I'm like, you have to look at where it's contained within a country, eh? And then you also just have to, like, be precautious like Mm -hmm. always be aware of your surroundings always be aware of where you are period 
Because, like, yes. if you're in a certain part of Colombia, like, yes, you probably will be kidnapped. <laughs> but, like, that's not saying, you know, oh, if you go to Bogota, like, you know, be scared for your life. Like, yeah. it's different, you know? So I would just say, like, a lot of the misconceptions that people have can be solved by, like, doing their research yeah. and getting a full picture of a country instead of generalizing off of just the past information that you've heard. Yeah, and usually only bad things make it to the news. Like, mm-hmm. there are good things very rarely make it to the news, which is sad. I feel like we need a little more positive energy in our lives, so that would be nice to have, like, a couple of good stories, but... You're bringing it. So. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, trying, trying, trying to. <laughs> and coming off of that, what are some safety measures that you implement when you travel? Great question. So I think first is researching the country, especially through the Department of State's website, because they have two really good tools to use. One is the level system that they have that basically shows what level of precaution you should exercise in that country. Um, And then two is the STEP program, the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. Um, and so that is where you basically get the give um, you know the government your information on like when you're traveling and where you're traveling to, and then they keep you updated via email on like um, uh, increased precautions in the region mm-hmm. or like terrorist activity or anything like that. And then they also um, just keep a you know they can make sure that you're safe in the country as mm-hmm. well, and um, you can just go to the embassy if you need anything. So that's one of the main things that I do. That's great. Those are great ideas and programs. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. No, it's especially like when you're traveling to a country where you know that they usually have like protest or like mm-hmm. increased government violence. Like that's a really important step to take before you travel. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you travel this much, some crazy stories are just meant to happen. Can you recall like a weird thing that has happened to you or just a weird story that you had? And where did it happen to you? Oh my gosh, wait, there's so many. So this is like kind of crazy. Um, Okay, so I can actually, well, does it have to be something that like happened to me or something that happened to like my family in general? It can be your family in general, please. Okay, one of the craziest stories is that, um, so my family was stationed in Germany Mm -hmm. and we had taken a weekend like camping trip up to Copenhagen. And um, my family loves to camp. So we just like found a campground near the city and like, set up shop basically okay and it poured down raining no and so like me and my sister and my mom slept in the car and then like the um my brothers and my dad slept in like the trunk of like our big like Ford truck that's very unfortunate it was just it was horrible um but then the next morning apparently there was like a family in an RV that was like you know oh like go over like invite them to breakfast but they didn't speak English they only spoke German and so they sent their oldest daughter over to like um, you know, like converse with us and like mm-hmm. invite us over to um, to breakfast. And we ended up having um, the same age gap between like all of our siblings. Oh, that's very weird. Yes. And so we ended up like spending the whole day traveling Copenhagen together. And they ended up only living like 30 minutes away from us back in Germany. Oh, my God. Yes. Wait, what are <laughs> the odds? That is wild. No, yeah. Like it's. It's a crazy story. And so, like, they always send us Christmas cards. And, like, it's just been, Aww, like. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. I think I was two when that happened. So, like, <laughs> it's been 18 years of just, like, consistent friendship. And, like. Oh, you guys still going, still talking? That's adorable. Yeah. Wait. And we also have a, like, a schedule, I guess you can say, where, like, the daughter that they have that's my age will come here every two years. And mm-hmm. then I'll go back to Germany every other two years. And, like, oh, wow. visit their family. So, it's, like. 
That's yeah. adorable. You have your own little like exchange program. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sweet. I love that. That's very, very nice. And you mentioned that you lived in Germany for some time and you told me that you also lived in Japan. Do you speak any of those languages now or no? Now is a different question. <laughs> oh, okay. Did you used to? Okay, let me rephrase it. Did you used to speak those languages? Yeah. So um, in Germany, I was put into like German or like not German school, but like a German immersion program. Mm-hmm. So like we were taught in German and like my teacher was German and everything like mm-hmm. that. And so I could speak and understand it really well. But then the problem is you come back and then to America and then it's like, no no German kindergartens or anything around to kind of Of like keep that up with and so like that kind of faded but I can still like understand my friend when she speaks sometimes oh cool yeah we have this weird thing where like she speaks to me in English no she speaks to me in German I speak back to her in English and it just works out I love that those like multi-language yeah (laughs) oh my god that's so cool what about Japanese um, kind of the same thing. I learned, like, the basics, like, how to get around, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still know some of the basics, I would say. Like, if you drop me off, I wouldn't be, like, completely lost <laughs> yeah. and scared. That's but, good. like, not the level that I would want to be at. Fair. Fair. But, you know, there's always time. You're only 20. Come on. Come true. On, come on. So true. <laughs> so much time left. And um, so did you go to schools? You said that there was a German immersion program. Did you go to school in Japan and Germany? Like, what was the education like? Yeah, so I actually went to a Dodd school, which is like a Department of Defense school. Mm. And so it's like on a base within the um, within the country. Okay. So, yeah, it was like you could opt in for like English learning um, like classes and things mm-hmm. like that. But my mom always put me in the one that would like, you know, immerse me in the yeah. language and the culture just because, like, even if you're there for a short period of time, you want to be, like, able to get around and, you know, handle yourself in a country, so. Of course, of course, that was hardcore immersion. I love it. <laughs> you know, there's only one way to do it. Right. Okay, basing your experience, what is one place you think everyone has to visit? It's Ooh, a very hard question, I know. I know. Oh, man, I might have to, like, think about this. Yeah, what is the place you would recommend, Janae? Well, the thing is that, like, everyone is different. So I don't know if, like, like the place that I might recommend would be, like, somebody's worst nightmare, and it might also (laughs) be, like, someone's, like... That is very dramatic. Like, (laughs) someone's worst nightmare. Dang, which one were you thinking about? (laughs) Well, I was thinking about Palau because Mm. it's just so beautiful, so untouched by, like, any sort of industrialization. Mm -hmm. Like, there's one supermarket on the entire island. Oh, my God. And people, like, still spearfish for their dinner. (laughs) Um, So if you like stability and, like, not being waken up by chickens and dogs at, like, 4 a.m. every day, Mm -hmm. like, maybe maybe somewhere else would be good for you. Maybe you should go to, like, Japan. I would recommend that to, like, everybody. Okay, Japan is for everybody. Okay, (laughs) interesting. I really wish I uh, would have time to to visit Japan and resources. It sounds very exciting. Yes. No. And if it comes another roommate trip. <laughs> another roommate trip, please. Can we we should make a list. Yeah. Can we make a list and put her on the fridge? <laughs> please. But we're, we're gonna manifest. We're gonna manifest the trips. True. Okay. Well, you have been to so many places. How did you end up at Washington Lee in Lexington, Virginia? I like really could not decide where to go to school. So I applied like everywhere, including like international schools. Yeah. But I think as time like got closer, I really kind of wanted to prioritize like spending time with family and like 
just being able to be in a place where I could like go back home if something were to happen, um, especially because mm-hmm. like I live with my gr- my grandparents lived with me at the time, mm-hmm. um, and I knew that they were like coming to the end of their life. Oh, this took a dark turn, but um, but I hadn't been able to like spend much time mm-hmm. with them, and throughout high school, yeah. I was actually able to like reconnect, and so, so I think I just kind of prioritized family and staying close. And I also really love the poverty program here and the Arabic professor that I have right now. Mm-hmm. And so by being able to, like, reach out to a lot of the professors at Washington and Lee, um, I mean, that was probably, like, one of the main deciding factors for me. I really found myself um, as, like, a good community fit here and also a good academic fit. So That's amazing. And you mentioned that you study economics, you're studying poverty and human capabilities. Yeah. I think that's, that's the full name. And MESA. What is the full name of MESA? Uh, Middle Eastern and South Asian Studies. Okay, that's what I thought. I just wanted, f- for the record. Okay, um, how did you decide on those three? Because those are three, I, they're not that different, but I mean like three very interesting areas and you combine them all together. How did that happen? Yes, well, when I tell you the story, it's going to come, it's going to make sense. I promise. Okay, okay, okay. So right before COVID happened, it was like Christmas to New Year's of 2019, like 2020. Mm-hmm. Um. I was in Dubai and Bahrain, mm-hmm. and both of those um, nations kind of have the same problem where they have a lot of, um, like, glitz and glamour, mm-hmm. but you never really, like, see the work and the abuse that goes into, you know, what makes those structures. Yeah. Um, and I also had no awareness of this when I went, um, but part of, like, my dad's philosophy about traveling is that you have to see both sides of every country, mm-hmm. and so um, I remember we took a the train there's like one train that goes through like all of Dubai in this little loop and we took it from the center all the way down to the last stop and you could just kind of see like the skyline decline and the people that got on and off the train just it was just a completely different atmosphere Mm. from the center of the Mm -hmm. town and the further away you got the more that you got to see like the laborers and the people that actually like built all like the glitz and glamour of Dubai um and when you got to the end it was just like this crazy scene of a lot of just factories and like um, power plants on one mm-hmm. side that just had smog, smog and smoke like going up and then unpaved roads on the other side leading to these big buildings that just had like no windows like it was horrific living conditions um, and by seeing kind of both of those sides is kind of what got me interested in journalism mm-hmm. because I wanted to be able to tell the story of you know um, that we don't see of Dubai and really get the workers' stories. And I got really inspired by some of the um, other stories I had seen in, like, the New York Times, like, talking about um, this disparity. Yeah. Um, but then once I got to Washington and Lee, I took my first economics class and completely changed gears because I was, like, like with journalism, I could tell the stories of the people, but with economics, I could create policy change that just, like, helped on a massive scale, like, with direct impact through the government, mm-hmm. like, seeing how they could, um, like, make mutually beneficial gains for both them and the workers um, and improve their living conditions. So that's where the Middle Eastern and South Asian studies comes in because a lot of their um, immigrants are from the, um, are from South Asia, like mm-hmm. India, Pakistan especially. Um, and they're there's this huge migration pattern to um, the Gulf countries of, like, Bahrain, Dubai, Oman, even. Yeah. Um, 
And so that just goes into a lot of their um, labor economics as well. So it all tied together. (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense. And then it allows you to actually make the impact that with journalism you would have just talked about. Yeah. I wanted a more, like, hands-on thing, I guess. I mean, same thing would have happened with journalism, but I think just different methods of approaching it. Yeah. It's very cool that you had enough time to discover it because you didn't really have to declare until winter term sophomore year, so that's a great benefit that you had. But it's uh, it's amazing. It does make sense. Okay, <laughs> I have to give it to you. It does make sense in the end. I love that. And it combines, yeah, all of the spheres. And it you does. know, a lot of um, other colleges, they're like Middle Eastern programs, only have Middle Eastern and North African studies. Mm. And so I think they miss that on like a huge part of um, how like South Asia plays a role into like the economies of all of the Middle East, to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, when you took that train in Dubai, that's a very fascinating story. Honestly, I love your dad's approach. Can I interview him when he comes, please? <laughs> yes. would, he give, would he consider? I think that'd be great, too. I'm just throwing it out there. Can I use a roommate benefit? <laughs> just, you you know, can use that card. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm a roommate card. <laughs> that's amazing. And uh, would you consider that, like, cultural shock? Because did, did you expect to see that or not? I think I... I don't know if I would say it's, like cultural shock Mm -hmm. is more as like overall shock because like the same thing happens in America where like you can go from like Beverly Hills down a few blocks into Mm -hmm. like or down a few neighborhoods into like very impoverished areas right but I think just seeing it on that level where um you know you could see like literally the skyline is declining the people coming on and off the train are just like going from like $500 fur coats to like (laughs) you know shirts with like a lot of holes in them like Mm-hmm. To see that disparity up close, it I think it just magnified what I already knew about poverty yeah. in a very like explicit way. Yeah, you saw it. It's a very life-changing experience. Interesting. And if we talk about cultural shocks, though, like you do so much research about every country you go to. That is amazing. Do you still remember a story where you were <laughs> culturally shocked? Or like, did, yeah. did that happen to you? Can you tell me? Tell me, please. So... I went to Morocco for spring term last year. Okay. And I had been to, like, you know, a couple of countries in the Middle East, and I was just kind of, like, I had done research about Morocco, but I thought it would be kind of, like, overall a gist of, like, the same cultural traditions and things like that. And so I saw a lot of posts about, like, um, women feeling unsafe and, like, being catcalled and things like this. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to have to, like, really make sure that I'm in, like, you know, traditional dress and, like, making sure that I'm, you know, um, like, very conservatively dressed, basically. Um, That did not help. And I remember me in Georgia in very conservative clothes being followed by these two guys on a motorcycle in Morocco. Oh, my God. And them just, like, yelling all of these, like, catcall phrases at us and literally stopping until we were at our – or turned to get back into the Medina when this police officer came by and was like, hey, like, stop harassing us. Oh, my God. So that was, like, a huge culture shock because I just, I had always known the Middle East to be, like, very respectful, especially, like, towards women. I mean, not, like, like policy is something different, but, like, yeah. you know, general life. Um, mm-hmm. Like, no one In should even, like, look at you that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that was... I, I just was not expecting that, and that was definitely a, a culture shock. 
Wow. Yeah, that's that is a crazy story too. Yeah. Question. <laughs> I told you I had a lot of them. <laughs> I love that. That's why you're here. Yeah. I'm very happy you are. Interesting. Did you go anywhere else with WNL besides Morocco? I have not been anywhere else with uh, WNL yet. That's really so crazy. To. <laughs> Interesting. I really hope it's gonna work out. I know that uh, you got the critical language scholarship. You got it f- our first year, right? Freshman yes. year. Exciting. Can you tell me what that is and a little bit about the program itself? What, what's the goal? Yes. Yeah, so the critical language scholarship is sponsored by the Department of State. Um, and so they basically send you into a foreign country where you are learning a critical language. So like usually level five languages, mm-hmm. there's like um, you could go to Azerbaijan, you could go to Oman, Jordan to like learn Arabic, um, but other ones as well, like Farsi and things like that. Um, That's really so cool. you study there for eight weeks and they expose you to a lot of cultural activities um, and you basically just get to learn more about the country and develop your language skills. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, can you tell me about the application process? What do process did you have to write essays? How did that work for you? Yeah, so Dr. Laura was like actually amazing in helping me get the critical language scholarship. Um, you have to have letters of recommendation. Um, and then you also have to do a statement of purpose essay, basically mm-hmm. about like why you want to study this language and how um, the critical language scholarship could help you. Um, so that's one of the things. And then they also just have like usual background questions mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I would say the um, essay is like the main part of it. So um, having someone like a director of fellowships to help you through that process. That's amazing. amazing. <laughs> Very WNL thing. Yeah. Very WNL thing. Do you have any advice for people applying for this scholarship? Because I have a couple of friends who are first years and they're very interested. So any advice? I would say nail down the reasons why you need to go study this mm-hmm. language and why you need to study it now. And those are like two different things. Right. So like if you have your plan for the next five years, map out why having the scholarship right now for the summer is going to help you achieve those plans in five years. And that's the advice that Dr. Lord gave me as well. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that really advice. helps. Yeah. yeah. And you did it for Arabic, right? Yes. Cool. That is awesome. That is, that is amazing. And circling back to the degrees that you're having from WNL, or WNL things. So you're getting the maximum possible degrees that you can get because it's either double major and a minor or major and double minor. You're doing major and double minor. How do you manage the workload? Like, do you have any time management tips? How is that working out for you, Janae? I think, honestly, it's just, like, it, it never gets easier. So it really, Yeah, I agree with that. The tips that you learn from high school just, like, build on them with time management. Like, I still schedule my free time. Mm-hmm. And I still schedule, like, when I have to go and do a podcast with Veronica. Yes, I Shout made out. it to the <laughs> calendar. I made it to the calendar. Let's go. <laughs> you made my too. Thank you. Awesome. But yeah, I would just say schedule everything um, and know when to like decommit from things. So like I had a lab that interfered with one of my like main extracurriculars that I loved mm-hmm. and it was just going to be too difficult to make up the work from the extracurricular and stay in the class as well. And you have to prioritize your academics. So um, just knowing when to like let things go or even like you don't even have to let things go fully. You can just say, hey, I need to, like, take a more hands-off approach to this extracurricular this semester. Like, what can I do to stay involved and, like, mm-hmm. to a lesser extent? So, yeah. That is a great advice. I fully support that advice. <laughs> I wish I could take that advice. 
fuck, you know? Same. Work in progress. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree, you know? I, it really, really resonates with me and what I do, so yeah. <laughs> Please, if you can, take that advice. And you mentioned some extracurricular activities. What do you do? What are some of your primary ones right now? Yeah, so primary ones would probably be student consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a team lead for that this semester. Amazing. So I'm like leading my group through a project and figuring out market research and things like that. Um, and then the second one would be SEAL, which is the Student Environmental Action League. Um, I'm the head event planner for that, and we are working on doing a lot of collabs this year with um, the low-income and first-generation group, as well as um, uh, MockCon for our main event. Ooh. So that'll be very exciting. And can you tell me a little bit more about MockCon, like what that is for people who don't go to WNL? Yes, yeah, so MockCon is basically a um, an extracurricular. It's a bipartisan uh, political project basically mm-hmm. to discover who the party out of power's presidential nominee will be. Um, and so there is a mock convention where we um, basically have delegates, which are all run by students. Um, signed up for states and basically um, all participating in this big experiment. So that's amazing, and it happens what like every four years at WNL, right? Yes, and it's it only stopped once for World War One or World War Two. Sorry, oh, World War Two, wow. and we've been right like I think it's a high number of times. It's right? been done like twenty seven. I think this will be like the twenty yeah. eighth time, and it, we've been right like more than twenty of those times. I so. Love that. Yeah, very uh, iconic WNL trait. You know, it's like Macon, spring term, all of those things together. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, and how do those extracurricular activities align with your professional goals? Like, w- what are your professional goals if you feel like sharing? I feel like, well, yeah. So I'll answer the second question first. Yeah, so okay, yeah. <laughs> my professional goals is to um, go into consulting. But I think later on down the line, what I would really want to do is economic consulting for governments in the Middle East, specifically Ooh. governments in the Gulf countries, kind of tying it back to that yeah. whole degree so story. Nicely. I love it. The <laughs> triangle is full. Okay. Um, but I, um, I think student consulting really helps with that because you're learning to solve problems in a fast-paced environment and trying to make sure that you get all of, like, the research and the details correct mm-hmm. so that your final recommendation can be, like, in tip-top shape and perfectly pulled together. Um, so I think that ties in very well. And I think sustainability, which SEAL would be the focus mm-hmm. of, is honestly just something that everybody should be concerned about right now. Um, it's not something that I see, like, specifically within my professional goals because I want to go more into, like, labor economics. Yeah. Um, but I think even within that, like, you have to make sure that um, the patterns of migration that you are, um, you know, trying to influence are done in a way that's sustainable for, you know, not only your economy, but um, the resources that you have. So, Of course, yeah. It sounds like you are very strategic about planning your extracurricular activities, your majors with your professional goals. I respect that a lot because my life philosophy is that if you don't plan, you plan to fail. So... Cheers That's to you, a good one. Thank you. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a lyric from Taylor Swift. <laughs> I can, yeah, but it's a lifestyle, and I respect you for planning it all together. And so far, you know, you're coming into your junior year at WNL. Um, can you tell me about your professional experience? Have you had any internships? And if so, where did you do an internship? Yeah, so um, freshman year, so my critical language scholarship was online. And so I had a little bit of extra free time to kind of like 
dedicate to research on campus. So I researched, I did research with Professor Charlie, who is a um, professor in the poverty department, on basically like civil health participation. We launched a survey, got some good information on signage for um, a local elementary school. Um, So that's what I did my first year. Um, my second sem- or my second summer here, um, I worked in Buena Vista at a startup accelerator. Um, it basically focuses on community development for rural Virginia and accelerating the businesses there to kind mm-hmm. of give people more choices in, or, um, in like the labor market. So cool. um, developing um, uh, businesses from all different types of sectors so that like agriculture, like one sector over another, isn't the main um, source of uh, job and income a county that's amazing and it all aligns with your professional goals as well (laughs) i respect that that's great and for our listeners who are trying to get i know a lot of people are trying to get into consulting and just trying to get internships that are at least remotely related to what they want to do do you have any advice on getting internships or like application process maybe interviews yes um network 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 especially within consulting like your application can honestly sometimes just be a number in a pile until somebody puts their name, backing name on it. Mm-hmm. So being able to really talk to people and um, get them to kind of be like a sponsor to you or even just to learn more about your job, mm-hmm. more about their job, um, it can be really important. Yeah, people people are important and connections. You know, that's, that, that's how it goes. And it is very important to start on early as well because yes. network is something that you build on with time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Janae, for your time. Those are all the questions that I had. This is a great advice and some amazing stories. I love it. We're definitely going to address it in our roommate <laughs> evening activities for sure. Right. I absolutely loved it. Thank you so much, Janae. Thank you. Janae shared some amazing travel stories and gave valuable advice for aspiring travelers. Hope you were taking notes. Also, don't forget to check out the previous episode with Julian Murphy, the Assistant Director for Center of International Education at Washington & Lee. You can find all episodes on major streaming platforms. And mark your calendars for the new episode next Wednesday at 1 p.m. on WLUR. Don't forget to follow Veronica WK on Instagram. And remember, no one will discover the world for you.